Welcome to the HR on the Offensive podcast, brought to you by Lace Partners. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, and welcome to this, another edition of the HR on the Offensive podcast. It's Chris Howard here from Lace Partners. I hope you are well, wherever you are listening to this. I hope you are making the best of the situation that we're in. And uh, I wanted to do this podcast today. This is coming out in between podcasts. If you're a regular listener, you'll know we list, we produce our podcasts on a Thursday and release them. But we wanted to do a, a special podcast because as of last week and at the time of us recording this, it's actually this week. But when you're listening to this, which should come out on the Monday or the Tuesday of the 5th or 6th of October, the government have recently made announcements around their change to uh, what is transitioning from the furlough scheme which is the uh, the job retention scheme is to give it its official title to what's now called the job support scheme and what we wanted to do today as part of our podcast series is just bring somebody in a specialist to talk to us a little bit about some of these this this government announcement on the job support scheme what it means what it means for HR professionals and HR directors and the HR teams but also businesses as well and i am delighted to be joined by Paul Chamberlain who is head of employment at JMW Solicitors Paul hello welcome to the show and thanks for joining us Thanks, Chris. Thanks for the invite. Now, full disclosure, I'll let you be beyond the curtain here. Paul and I have already recorded this once. Unfortunately, we had some technical issues, but thankfully, the government have decided that they're going to possibly leave it until the absolute last minute before they make any announcements. So we might get all right by the time we actually release this podcast, Paul. Uh, hopefully, they haven't given us a whole new wave of, of new guidance. Yeah, fingers crossed. We'll, we'll have to wait and see. But as things currently stand, not a lot to go on, but we'll do our best. We'll do our best. We'll do our best. Right. Before we uh, talk specifically about the job support scheme, perhaps credentials chat. So if you could just tell me a little bit about yourself. Um, obviously, you and I know each other from previous working iterations. And then tell me a little bit about the business, uh, JMW. Yeah, that's fine. Thank you. So I've been an employment lawyer for longer than I care to remember. I'm head of employment and a partner here at JMW Solicitors. And we've got our headquarters in Manchester. We have a couple of other offices, one of which is in London. I am, as I say, an employment lawyer, but I have a particular interest and, dare I say, expertise in the law related to recruitment businesses and recruitment agencies. Uh, The business itself, we have a, a large dedicated employment team here in Manchester. We also have colleagues who specialize in employment law down in our London office, but the firm as a whole operates as a a full-service commercial law firm, so it does everything that you would expect a full-service commercial law firm to do. We have close to 500 people. We turn over close to £50 million, and uh, we enjoy what we do. Jolly good, jolly good. And I take it you've been enjoying what you've been doing over the last six months and having many a late, late night, I'd imagine. Well, I've certainly been enjoying the work. I've not been a particular fan of the lockdown, although we are now back in the office to some extent up here in Manchester and the situation down in London is slightly different. But yeah, we've spent a lot of time talking about the furlough scheme. Uh, the furlough scheme is about to end, as you know. Uh, we've got till the end of October for that to run. And then we are uh, we have to deal with the delights of the job support scheme. 
the issue I think we're going to talk about today, isn't it? Yeah, we certainly are. Just before we go into the job support scheme, we're just going to a bit of a general chat over that, though. Uh, could you just give us a bit of an idea? So what's been happening on the ground almost in JMW in terms of your clients? What's been the the key things that you've seen a lot of in the last six months? I'd imagine there's been quite a lot of employers that have that have been coming to you. And of course, this podcast focused on HR directors and, and large businesses particularly. But is there any particular types of work that you've seen a lot more of over the last six months or so? Well, there was certainly a lot of panic, Chris, as you might imagine, when we hit lockdown. And I think a lot of employers mm. saw an immediate downturn and things have picked up a little bit, of course, since then. But as a result of that, there were lots of HR issues. There was then a whole host of confusion around the furlough scheme. Um, the government issued some general pointers and then backfilled, as it were, with some contradictory guidance. Uh, so we spent a lot of time in the early months guiding people through the furlough scheme uh, and, and dealing with particular points that arose there. And um, We uh, have seen things move a little bit, I think it's fair to say, in the last month or so, and that's because as the furlough schemes developed and the subsidy from the government has reduced, people have decided that actually, whilst they started off with the rest of intentions to try and retain jobs in certain sectors, that just isn't going to happen. So we've been advising lots of people on redundancies, unfortunately, in the last few weeks, and I can see that only increasing during the course of the next few weeks. The job support scheme is designed to be a replacement. It's Rishi Sunak's attempt, I think, to show uh, that the government is supporting the economy. But the reality of life as we go through some of the detail, as I'm sure you'll see, is that it probably doesn't give a lifeline to certain industries where there just isn't any activity at all. Yeah, I mean, let's get, let's delve into it then. So let's talk about this job support scheme which was announced. And I think the the words which constantly come back in the media that you hear is this idea of viable jobs, isn't it? So could you just give us an idea of, just give us a general overview from your understanding of the job support scheme and what HR teams need to be mindful of? Well, you're right. I mean, the purpose of the scheme, it, it set out very clearly, it says it's to protect viable jobs. But Rishi Sunak has been very clear that he's not the arbiter of what a viable job is. It's very much the employer who's got to decide what job's viable. But it's designed to protect viable jobs in businesses who are facing lower demand over the winter months as a result of COVID-19. It's, it's designed to help keep their employees on board. And in very, very broad terms, it's a third, a third, a third. That's the, that's the way it's been organised. So the, the, the company will continue to pay its employee for all time worked. So if your employee works part of the week, you'll pay them as normal for the work that they do. But in relation to the normal hours that they would normally work over and above those hours, any that aren't worked, well, the burden of that's going to be effectively split between the employer, the government and the employee. So the government will pay a grant subject to a cap. They're calling that wage support. And the employee is also required effectively to take a pay cut because they'll have their pay reduced. So a bit, bit of meat on that bone, if you like, and the government will pay a third of hours not worked up to a cap. That cap is 697 pounds, 92 pence, a nice round number, 69792 a month, mm. that cap. 
the employer will contribute a third. And that then means that the employees earn a minimum of 77% of their normal wages. Now, if you're faced with the prospect of redundancy or 77% of your normal wages, I suspect you'd take 77% of your normal wages. Yeah. yeah. But, but who knows? Yeah, I suspect there will be lots of people who will look at their options. Um, and lots of arguments in the press as to whether 70%, so it's 77% is generous enough um, or, or not. Um, but that's that's the extent of it. Um, the other the other point I might I might just make at this stage, Chris, if you don't mind, is just to just to contrast this scheme with the furlough scheme. Yeah. Um, for those who are listening who have been involved in the furlough scheme, it was made pretty clear that the that the grant, the furlough, the job retention scheme grant, could be applied for in advance. So you could make your application for the money before you paid it out, uh, which obviously was a massive cash flow bonus to lots of businesses. There was a question mark over whether that would be allowed, but the government clarified that it would. The difference under this scheme, the job support scheme, is that grant payments are only made in arrears. So it's a reimbursement scheme. It's not an payment scheme. So you've actually, as the employer, got to find the money to pay out first and then claim it back. And, and whilst that might not sound like too much of a burden, if your cash flow is already squeezed, then I suspect that it, that will push some, some employers over the edge. So yeah. it's a subtle change, but I think it's a pretty fundamental change between the job uh, retention scheme and the job support scheme. Yeah, I mean, there's a couple of bits in there that I just picked out. So number one is I know that you lovely people in the legal profession, you don't like ambiguity. And this idea of viable jobs, the first I've just written down, the first thing that pops into my head is employment tribunal, question mark. I mean, do you foresee that's going to be a challenge with people saying, well, how, you know, give me some communication on how my job is is not viable anymore? Uh, well, look, I mean, it, it's it's right for those sorts of interpretational cases, isn't it? I, I mean, I think, to be fair, the word viable is being used in a political sense rather than a legal yes. sense. I, I would be surprised if the legislation, whatever it looks like or wherever it comes from, has that in it in any way other than a statement of intent. But look, I'm, I've, I've been surprised before, I'm going to be surprised again. It, it might well be a prerequisite. Uh, and if it is, well, you're absolutely bang on. Who is going to determine what viability is? And, and are there going to be a whole host of arguments over whether a job is or isn't viable? Because there will be differences of opinion, as there always are. There are differences of opinion in redundancy situations. We see it all the time. The employer makes a decision that a job's redundant. The employee says, well, I don't think it is. The employment tribunals tend to stand back from, from that sort of determination because what they say is, the business decision to make redundancies is one ultimately for the employer, but for it to be a redundancy, it's got to satisfy the statutory definition. So they won't interfere with the decision, mm. the business decision, but they will say whether or not the situation that business decision gives rise to is actually a statutory redundancy situation. So we may well end up in in in, in that sort of territory. And just very quickly, because I know we've got lots of other things to cover, but this question of employment tribunals, we're already seeing cases involving the furlough scheme where people are suggesting, for example, that the fact that they were placed on furlough means that they were then at a disadvantage if the employer is now deciding to make people redundant. In other words, oh, yeah. 
you know, the employer made a, almost made a sort of pre-decision by placing people on furlough, that if there was then a subsequent redundancy situation, those on furlough may well be the first people targeted. Yeah, so it's almost like they sort of think, well, my card's marked, really, because exactly you know, firstly, way. I'm not going to be up, I'm going to be out of the business for X number of months, and therefore I'm not up to speed because it takes everybody up to speed. You know, I go on holiday for a week, and you know, the first hour or so when you're back, you've got to get yourself back up to speed. So six months out of a business is a real challenge, isn't it? You know, agreed. And if and if you're choosing people based on performance your most recent and up-to-date performance indicators will be from those who have remained in the business. Mm. So, you know, there is a little bit of merit in that. I mean, it ultimately the job retention scheme was designed as an alternative to redundancy, wasn't it? So it doesn't automatically follow that if you're on furlough, you're earmarked for redundancy because the employer will simply say, well, it was an alternative to redundancy. We did that because otherwise we would have had to consider redundancies. So mm. it's not, case that you were furloughed because you'd already been chosen but the point I'm really making is there's going to be a whole a whole piece of satellite litigation around furlough and the way that it interacts with redundancy I think we'll see the same with the job support scheme because at the end of the job support scheme it'll run till April but at the end of the job support scheme if the economy is not in a much better state we're going to be facing down redundancies again yeah, and and there'll be that there'll, there'll be that contrast or comparison, won't there, between the two situations? Yeah, certainly. This is uh, this is not a challenge that is going away anytime soon, and we'll have yeah. this for for quite a while. So I'll tell you what, let's let's kick it on just a little bit. So one of the questions that I had around this was around this idea of when an employee is not working. So if you are if you have employers who hire thousands of staff and they have to make a chunk of their workforce or they have to reduce their, their working hours. Let's just say they halve the hours. So they're doing two and a half hours a week or sorry, two and a half days a week. Do you think that businesses will then be looking for job sharing? And is there anything that we've seen that suggests that can or can't happen as a result of, of what we've, what, what's been announced recently? Yeah, there's not, there's nothing specific on job share. Uh, and, and perhaps that's not too much of a surprise, but Looking through the sort of sparse detail that we've had already, it would appear that people can jump on to and jump off this job support scheme. So there's no there's no requirement for them to be working the same pattern of hours each month. And I think if that's if that's the underlying principle, then job share probably is something that's going to be considered. You know, certainly certainly forward thinking employers who are minded to do the best job they possibly can for their employees will certainly be giving job share some consideration. Uh, I mean, whether it works for the employees or not is another matter, but, but it strikes me that it will certainly be a consideration. So the short answer to your question is it, it, we, we, we don't know for certain, but what we do know is that because people can go onto it and off it on a, on a sort of rotational basis, that would seem to suggest that job share is probably likely. Mm. Okay. And uh, I guess sort of aligned to that really is this idea of the contractual side as well, because if you have an employer that has been on furlough, um, the furlough scheme 
I, I'm not sure. And again, you'd probably be able to correct me. I don't know whether there were any contractual requirements to change somebody's contract when they're being put onto furlough. But if you're then changing them so that actually you're saying to somebody, well, in this in, in this instance that I mentioned, you know, we're only asking you to do two and a half days a week. Are there contractual considerations that businesses are going to have to consider? And, and what could they be? Yeah, I, I think the short answer to that is yes, and that that's that that was the same answer that I gave when people asked me about furlough. Furlough as a concept in the UK is something quite new, but the reality of it is it's it's akin to what we as employers know as layoff. So the the employment relationship continued even though there was no work being given and no work being done. So the legal starting point, very much when furlough hit, was. Do you as the employer have the contractual ability in your existing terms with your employees to lay them off? If you do, well, you you exercise that clause to put them on the furlough scheme and then you tick the boxes to be able to claim the grant. So the the grant was different. The requirements for the grant was different to the contractual requirements. If you didn't have an express layoff clause in your contract, we were advising people to make sure that they agreed furlough with their employees. Uh, And as I think I've mentioned to you before, Chris, I can count on the fingers of one finger the number of employees used to be furloughed because they knew that the alternative was redundancy. I mean, that's not to say everybody went on to furlough looking at it through rose-tinted spectacles. Absolutely not, because there are always the usual difficult employees that create issues and raise problems. So there was quite a lot of that. But I don't think I ever came across a situation when someone faced with the choice of redundancy or furlough then said, I don't want to go on furlough. So so actually, even though there was a contractual requirement to amend the terms to allow furlough to happen, it was a relatively easy job to get that consent. And now you asked me about the job support scheme. If you just think about it, from a basic contractual perspective, what you're doing here is saying to someone who would normally work full-time, only work part-time. And you're also saying to them, oh, and by the way, we're going to take some money off you as well. Your pay is going to be reduced. Mm-hmm. Both of those are pretty fundamental contractual terms. Yeah. So the short answer is, if you want to put them on the job support scheme, you are going to have to change their contract. And again, you're going to have to do that with their consent in the main. I think the difference this time might be that you won't necessarily get people to consent quite as easily as they did with furlough because the scheme is less beneficial than furlough. Yeah. Uh, but but who knows? Uh, I mean, you know, the proof of the pudding will be in the eating of it, won't it? So we'll just have to see as and when we get to the scheme start in November. Yeah, I guess I'm thinking there, if if I'm in the position where my employer says to me, look, your position, the, the role that you, we've got at the moment, we simply don't have the work for you. We are having to, and I guess there's a communication question, isn't there, as well? Because if you're communicating to your workforce, look, this is the furlough scheme. This is not like the furlough scheme. This isn't a grant that we get money up front. You know, as a business, we're suffering. And you mentioned earlier the cash flow issue. You know, as a business, you're having to take on a little bit of risk, aren't you, really? Because you've effectively, you're not going to get your payout until towards the end of the of the job support scheme. So you're effectively taking a little bit more risk on than the furlough scheme as a business to say that we're going to keep these people employed 
so that we don't have to make them redundant. And so I do wonder if there's that question around if you're if you're communicating properly to your employee, look, we are doing this because the other option is we don't have a job and so we have to go through redundancy and we don't want to do that, then you'd hope that there would be more often than not an employee saying, okay, I recognize that. Yeah, I mean, I would I would hope that that's the case. I think the difference between this scheme and the furlough scheme is that the government subsidy is not as is not as generous, and 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 you know when the job when the job retention scheme was introduced, it was almost a no brainer for employers to take advantage of it. Yeah, almost a no brainer. As we've seen with the, with the increased contribution towards furlough costs over the last few months, and certainly we've got you know you know in October even bigger, we've got the biggest contribution until the end of the month. We've seen some people decide not to furlough because of that contribution. Now the job support scheme requires an even bigger contribution. So it seems to me that, that there are gonna be a lot of focused minds between now and the end of October as to whether or not the job support scheme is something that the employers can afford because that is, it is an affordability question for them, not just in terms of hard cash, but also cash flow. And, and that's why I'm a bit skeptical. I think, I think Rishi Sunak, as a politician had to do something. He was under enormous pressure. But is what he's done enough to support employers practically? I think the jury's still out on that, frankly. There will be some industries, I mean, we work with them, with people in hospitality. You know, if we've, we've got local lockdowns at the moment, we've got businesses that were opening up and, and feeling very positive about life, now having to almost close down again, or at least have opening hours significantly reduced. So they're sort of going back to square one. Some of these businesses won't have any turnover. Some businesses have not been allowed to come out of lockdown. Now, what do they do with their furloughed staff? It seems to me if there's, if there's zero chance of any turnover for them, well, this job support scheme is immediately costing them money. Yep. And I'm not sure where they'll get that from, other than reserves or out of any, any, any profit that they might have retained. Yeah. I mean, it is, it's a difficult one. There's a lot of questions that need to be answered and certainly answered quickly. And we're kind of learning, uh, we're all learning as we go. And I guess you could even say the same about the, the people that are making the decisions uh, in government and so on. Okay. Well, let's ask, I'm going to go to the next question, which is an interesting one, actually, because during the furlough, the lockdown period, what I certainly saw a lot of in the media was some innovative ways in which organizations were collaborating together. One of which was this idea of employees almost being shared between businesses, perhaps not obviously within competitive state, but in separate industries. Is that something that you think we'll see more of? I mean, is that are there any implications from a legal perspective that lawyers should be not lawyers um, that employers should be aware of? I'm not entirely I'm not entirely convinced that this new scheme will 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 change things, and it doesn't look from the detail we've got at the moment that there's going to be any bar on individuals having more than one job. When you think about what happened in furlough. I came across quite a number of instances where employer A would furlough someone and they would go and find another job with employer B. So they get the furlough payments from employer A and work full-time or maybe part-time with employer B. So actually, they were in a, those employees were in a bit of a windfall situation yeah. because they weren't working any longer hours, but they were actually taking home more money. 
And, and the scheme rules said that was perfectly legitimate as long as you weren't working for an associated business. Yeah, so the two, the two businesses shouldn't be connected. Now, if you think about it, if we're moving from furlough to this, there are going to be lots of people who've got two jobs, one that was furloughed and the other with, an, with a second employer. Now, there's nothing in these rules that we've seen so far, at least, and they're very sparse, that would suggest that in order to take advantage of this scheme, you've got to ditch that second job and, and, and go back to being employed only by one employer, which runs the job support scheme. Mm. So I think we'll probably end up with a, with a bit of a hybrid situation where people who are furloughed currently will then be put on job support uh, and they may still run, be that, you know, they may be in another sector of the economy that's doing reasonably well, where there aren't these pressures, and they'll continue working there for the remainder of the week. Now, are there any employment law issues? Well, there were employment law issues first time around if people wanted to do that, because some contracts have clauses in them that say when you're employed by us, you can't work for anybody else. Yeah, You certainly can't work for a competitor. So there were some situations where employees, if they wanted to take that second job, had to get consent from their employer. And some employers, when if they found out that they would, they'd taken a second job, they'd, you know, they've actually taken umbrage at that. And in some cases, they've dismissed. In other cases, they're disciplined. So, yes, there are some employment law ramifications, but under the scheme as we, as, as we can see it at the moment, I don't think there is going to be a, a move back because that cat's out of the bag, isn't it? Working for more than one employer now under furlough is, is, is the cat out of the bag. Yeah. Trying to put it back in, I suspect, is going to be very, very difficult. And if people are if people are up against it financially, well, they're going to want to continue working for more than one employer if they can, if it doesn't mean they're working any longer hours. Yeah, I think that's the key thing, isn't it? And I keep going back to, I guess, the relationship between employer and employee and on a, if you're talking about a large scale, if you've got a large number of employees that, that are on this scheme, if you're communicating effectively, but it also, a lot of businesses, what we talked about a lot during lockdown on LACE on our podcast and webinars that we did was almost the, the sort of cultural congruence and the, the, the idea that employees who are being treated uh, well or feel like they're being treated well during this period, there's a, there's an, there's an element of employee lo- brand loyalty that, that, could be that could be beneficial to businesses. So, seem to be doing the right thing, I think, is uh, is often something that we talked about. And I do wonder if you know if you've got an employer that is understanding of the situation of an employee. Look, we've had to put you on furlough. You need to top up your salary. I think you know those sort of businesses that have that understanding are going to when you come around to the job support scheme, they're going to have employees that are a little bit more understanding of that sort of stuff. I wanted to ask you. Another question, actually. So during furlough, one of the things you, we, we all were aware of was that you could not obviously undertake work for your business, but I believe you could undertake training um, whilst you were on furlough to upskill yourself. Is that still the same case in the job support scheme? Do we know? Or are those sort of processes, is that still going to remain the same uh, under the job support scheme? Well, I'm afraid to say the short answer to that is we, we, we just don't know. But I suspect we'll find out at, at some stage whether it's whether it's too late or not is another matter. But you're absolutely right. I mean, just as a bit of a refresher, under under the furlough scheme, you could be required to undertake study or training, where the purpose of that study or training was to improve either 
your effectiveness in your employer's business or the, the general performance of the employer's business. But, but the study or training couldn't provide a service to the employer or the business activities of the employer, and it, it couldn't contribute to the business activities of the employer or anything generating income or profit for the employer. So it was it, anything that, that resembled work wasn't regarded as training or study for the purposes of furlough. So would it be logical for the same provisions to apply to job support? In my view, it would. But look, when has logic ever formed part of a legislative framework for these types of you know, these types of novel situations? Who knows is the short answer. But it strikes me that it wouldn't offend the basic principle for the same for the same facility around study or training to be available under the job support scheme. Okay. Cool. We are coming towards the end of today's podcast, but I just wanted to ask one more question. Uh, and it's for, I guess it's for larger businesses, really. It's the larger business question from my perspective, because as we know, this podcast, we we get quite a lot of businesses, quite a lot of HR professionals that work in large organizations, 2,000, 5,000, 10,000 plus employees. And there are some implications, aren't there, from the job support scheme that I guess larger businesses need to be aware of. Do you want to just touch on those for me, please, before we uh, before we wrap up today? Yeah, absolutely. And and again, we're lacking a little bit of detail here, but this is, there's a there's an assessment here that wasn't that wasn't necessary or appropriate under the furlough scheme. So this is quite new. So large businesses, if they want to take advantage of the job support scheme, have got to meet a financial assessment test. And what we understand that financial assessment test will be is to look at whether or not the turnover of the employer is lower now than it was before they started experiencing COVID-19 difficulties. So that will be that will be a relevant feature for larger businesses. We're being told that there won't be a financial assessment test for SMEs, but it'll be interesting to see exactly what that financial <laughs> assessment test looks like. So, so if you're a larger business and broadly everything's been fine, well, it looks as though you're not going to be able to take advantage of this scheme. And that 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 works, that, that is logical, because if the government is saying we're giving targeted support here, then obviously larger businesses that haven't been badly affected, they don't need that targeted support. But SMEs are, 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 are broadly within scope. The fact sheet doesn't say how an SME is going to be defined. So there is a, there is a government fact sheet, but it, it's, it's sparse on detail. And the other point I make very quickly before we wrap up, Chris, is this. The government expectation, apparently, is that large employers who are able to use the scheme won't be making any capital distributions. So they won't pay out any dividends or they won't mm. they won't have any share buyback arrangements whilst they're accessing the grant. And again, that, that makes sense. You're taking government money, government subsidy with one hand, and then you're distributing money out to, to the owners. Yeah. And that's seen as just politically inept or, or, or perhaps ethically inept and, and it won't be allowed under the under the scheme rules as, as we understand them at the moment. Yeah, I mean, that that makes sense, doesn't it, really? I mean, you can't because if unless they are the government are hot on that sort of thing, then there will be businesses that will you know do what is allowed within the confines of the law. And so a lot of that makes sense, to be honest with you. Paul, it has been fantastic. Really good to have you on and we'll definitely have you on again to talk what what on earth is becoming of the job support scheme. I'm sure when we get a little bit more information, but for now, it's been really good to get this kind of 
overview of where we're at and hopefully you'll uh, you'll join us again in the future on the HR on the Offensive podcast. I will indeed and thanks for the invitation. It's been a pleasure. Uh, it's been really good to talk to you and uh, we will see you next time. Thank you.